Welcome to First Things First, the weekly podcast where we talk about God, faith, and life in Shallow Water, Texas. Our podcast is a production of First Shallow Water, and you can find more information about our church by clicking on the link in the description of this episode. Thanks for joining us. Here's our pastor, Brad Miles. Well, hello, all of my podcast friends out there. Welcome to First Things First. We're really glad to have you. Each each week on First Things First, we invite uh, interesting people to join us in the studio, exciting, interesting guests to come in and just talk about life and faith and, uh, and, and, and what, it thing, what it looks like to, to live and grow up in shallow water, Texas, so all things kind of relevant to us here in shallow water. And so uh, in keeping with our theme of having really interesting and exciting guests on, we've asked uh, this week the one and only legendary Cayenne Williams to join us to join us uh, this week on the podcast. Really excited to have her. Uh, Cayenne grew up in our church, been a member of our church for a long time. Also uh, uh, an, an athlete of some note during her time at Shallow Water High School. State champion, right? In the, was it 300 hurdles? Third place in the 100 hurdles. Third place in 100. I got a mix. I got the three and the one mixed up. It's my fault. It's my fault. But, uh, but quite, a, quite, a, quite a storied career in the athletic fields of athletic competition during her time at, at uh, Shallow Water High School. So I'm going to let, uh, I'm just going to let Cayenne tell you about herself, but I'm super glad that you're joining us. Cayenne, what are, uh, introduce yourself to everybody. I'm excited to be here, but I think you're giving me a little too much credit. Right? <laughs> um, but like you said, my name is Cayenne. Um, I did grow up in Shallow Water. I have been in Amarillo for about the past five years mm. since um, I'm a permanency specialist at St. Francis Ministries right now. Kind of going with the flow, seeing what happens. Yeah, permanency specialist. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? So it is, it's equivalent to being a caseworker for, mm-hmm. for Child Protective Services, but um, up here in the Panhandle, we're no longer under the state. So right. For this private organization, and we are called permanency specialists now. Yeah, St. Francis, they do Lubbock too. Right? They're the they're the ones for this whole region up here, right? Yeah. And so you're basically working with uh, with kids who are in the the foster system. Is that yes. is that accurate? Okay. So on a day to day basis, what does your job entail as a permanency specialist, caseworker? What do, what do, what are your responsibilities? Um, so I have my list of cases and I have to see each of my kids and each of my biological parents one time a month face to face. And then there's just a lot of documentation and paperwork. And um, I'm the primary contact for all of these kids and their foster parents um, whenever they need resources or if they need help with paying for anything or really just anything that they need. Um, I just kind of manage their case. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so how many, what's your caseload like? How many cases are you working at a time usually? Uh, about 16 or 17 at a time. Okay. All right. Well, that's not, that's not too crazy. So yeah. is that 16, 17, is that a kid or, or is that case? Like are there multiple kids in a case? Each kid has their own case. Okay, good. Okay. So 16 to 17 kids at a time. All right. That's good. All right. Well, so all right. Well, before we get into everything, well, maybe maybe this maybe the best way to start, Kyan, will be for you to share a little bit about how you got into that work, why you decided, you know, that that's kind of what you wanted to do, and maybe share share a little bit about your journey that kind of led you to doing this. Um, so we started fostering. My parents did when I was ten. 
And just over the course of that, over the next about four years, we fostered 13 kids. Wow. And then adopting my two youngest sisters. So then we had five girls in the house and my parents didn't want any more kids. Um, And so just through that, it was very, I got to sit in with all the visits um, whenever the caseworkers would come see the kids that we had. And I got to go with my mom to drop them off at visits. And it was just a very interesting field. Um, my mom's a nurse and I've always wanted to help people, but I don't like the healthcare field. Sure. I didn't it, so I wanted to find something else where I could help people and not, you know, give them shots and stuff because you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like all of that. And so I was just very interested in social work from there on out. And then um, my parents didn't agree with CPS whenever they were fostering, as most people do. Want me to do that whenever I went to college, so I tried athletic training because that's like a little bit less of the healthcare field. Yeah, and lasted two days in athletic training, and I called my mom and told her I was switching my major to social work. <laughs> and she was like, "Okay, well, I tried, and it was just, I loved it from there. I got got my master's in December. Um, I loved all my classes. I loved all the volunteer work and my internships I did throughout um, school. But <laughs> here we are." And I've been working for CPS or for St. Francis uh, for almost two months now. Um, and then I was at the children's home for two and a half years before that. Right, right. So so your experience as a family of doing mm-hmm. foster care together and then eventually adopting your, your two younger sisters, that, that played a big role in kind of you being drawn to that field. Is that right? Yes, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, so gosh, you know, I, there's about a billion questions that I, I have, you know, r- related to all, all this stuff, this journey, because you just kind of were like, yeah, so we did this and then we did this and then that ended up here. And, it, and I'm sure that there were a lot of like really painful moments. So uh, your mom, though, tried to talk you out of working for the for yes. It's mostly just the stereotype of CPS. Like there's only one thing you can do in social work is what people think, but through the social work field, I mean, you can do, you can work anywhere, schools, hospitals, some adoptions, you know, you can do a whole bunch of things, but my parents were just like, social work is CPS. Right. And negative connotation towards CPS, which is fine, which is what they went through. Um, and so they just didn't want me involved in all that. And working for, I mean, just in the foster care system like that in general is scary. I mean, you deal with scary people, you deal with scary situations. Um, and so I understand their hesitation with that, but I just, that's what I want. I don't want to do anything else. Nothing else interests me like that. So right, we'll just see what happens. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what do you find? What do you find most rewarding about the work that you're doing right now? Um, definitely just putting kids in safer situations. But then also, I work with the biological parents throughout the whole case. So seeing their progress hmm. and their main goal is reunification. We want these kids back in their biological homes. And so we're able to work with the parents and see their progress and see how hard they work for these kids. Um, it's rewarding getting to be a part of that and help them out through that. Yeah. Yeah. What's the most difficult part of your job right now? When the parents don't work to get their kids back and these kids just go from placement to placement and, just seeing the trauma that they go through throughout the whole case um, from being removed to not finding a placement or kids who get adopted and then the adoption parents put them back into the system and wow. things like that. Just the trauma that the kids go through being so young. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I can't imagine. I, you know, I can't, I can't imagine. We, uh, Amy and I were involved in like uh, the adoption process when we were, when we lived in Oklahoma. And so we were kind of, you know, engaged in that process and working through uh, to become adoptive parents. And then, and then you know, we had Sadie and Amy had some health complications. And so that kind of like, you know, dropped, stopped yeah. that journey kind of cold. But, but as we were working through all of that, you know, uh, man, the, the, that's what struck me the most is just hearing these stories and, you know, you get this file on a kid, you know, when you're thinking about adopting them. And so it has every time that, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, that child services have been called, you know, every report that had been made and, and just like thumbing through that for some of these kids are just, it was heartbreaking to, you know, all of the different things that they had to face in their short lives, you know, just a short yeah. span of time. And, uh, so anyway, we, uh, yeah, I, that's that's got to be, and I think that's probably why folks have trouble staying with that profession for very long because it just kind of wears them out. I, I bet. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a big burnout field. I'd like three units in college over just self care. Like right, care yourself and leave work at work and people in the field, but it's a burnout field for sure. Yeah, self care is an important thing for you know for any any helping profession, right? So like. Uh, medical field, being a pastor, you know, is another one, but, but, um, but, but the work that you're doing, because there's this thing, it's a field right now that psychologists are just trying to kind of dig into, but uh, secondary trauma, have you, have y'all talked about this, where your trauma that you experience when you're close to another person who's going through trauma, or when you're helping a person navigate trauma, and, uh, you know, when I was growing up, we, no one knew what to call that. We didn't even have a, a label for it or anything, but, but I can tell you it's real because as a pastor, you know, um, I've dealt with that. And then I was the dean of students at Wayland. So like I'm dealing with, you know, kids who are in these awful situations trying to help them through it. And, and, uh, and you're not thinking about yourself, you know, what's going on in your heart. You're just focused on this other person and try to help them. But, but eventually it, it builds up inside of you too. And that, that trauma is absolutely as real, you know? So yeah. good word, Cayenne, make sure you're doing self-care, right? Yes. <laughs> what does that look like for you? What is it? I know, you know, how do you, what process do you have in place for, for that? What does it look like? Um, it depends on the day, just with this job. It's really, it's supposed to be like, you know, nine to five, but it never is. Yeah. Um, so right now it's really, I've been going to the gym a lot, which I haven't done. So <laughs> glad we're back in that. And then um, really just hanging out with my friends, just going to get there, just kind of do thing like on Wednesday and having girls night, um, things like that. Just kind of, so I like surrounding myself with people. I don't do well with like, isolation. like some people need to be by themselves to regroup. I need to be with other people. Yeah. Well, and I would, uh, I remember talking to my brother one time, he's a doctor. And so when he was in his residency, he went through a period where he would just felt like the wheels were coming off and, and stressed out and everything. And, and uh, so I just remember he was telling me, I don't know what's wrong with me, you know? So I started to ask him, well, tell me about, you know, your week. And, you know, anyway, he had had, uh, you know, uh, two or three patients die on his shift, you know, and, and his, his wife, they had lost their first child you know what I mean and so they and so like she had a miscarriage and so they were like you know he was just kind of telling me everything was going on I was like Keith (laughs) you know you've you've had some really traumatic things happen in the past couple of weeks and maybe uh, but I remember telling him I was like for your profession you probably just need to have a counselor that you go to like once a month or or just like on a regular basis whether you think you need it or not you should just have a standing appointment and just go see them because the field that you're working in basically I mean it, it 
you know, it's going to be like that, you know? So anyway, I would, I'd suggest that as well. You need to have a therapist and just, you know, uh, that's what they tell us to say. Even therapists have therapists. Everyone needs a therapist. Yeah. And so (laughs) the people who need it the worst are the, like the therapists, like the ones who are actually helping people because, because you're dealing not just with your trauma, but everybody else's all the time too, you know? So That's real. Okay. Well, one of the things that we like to do on our podcast, Cayenne, is we we like to we like to hear faith stories. We like to hear uh, about about how you came to faith and about, about what that journey was like. And um, we think that's good for a lot of reasons. One, it's just good to share that stuff, you know. But also, you know, who knows? There may be somebody who's listened to our podcast who um, who maybe has a wrong idea about what Christianity is, and, and maybe doesn't understand what it means to really have have faith in Christ, have a relationship with with God through Jesus. And so, um, so I just want to I just want for you to share a little bit of your story. How did you come to faith in Christ? What was that journey like? Who was involved? Tell me all the tell me all the details. <laughs> details um so i grew up in church i think my parents had me in the next day of the week after i was born <laughs> um, i think and so i was saved when i was seven years old mm-hmm. and from what i remember i had a pretty good understanding of it and so from then it was just church every sunday and wednesday church camp all summer um i don't know it was doesn't feel very interesting to talk about, but I've just always known that I was saved and I got saved at a very young age. So that was, I, it was a milestone at that point, but um, moving forward, it's just been kind of navigating the different stages of my life and how my Christian looks throughout that and trying to just keep up with my relationship with God, um, where I'm at. And I don't know. It's not a very long, interesting story, but those are the so like more and more when I when I've done this podcast, I, I hear a lot of stories like that, right? Where uh, I, you know, gosh, I grew up in church. I came to faith in Christ at a very young age. I made that commitment, you know, early on. I knew, you know, that I wanted for my life to be about following Christ, serving Christ, you know, from a very early age. And to be honest with you, I think those are some of the most beautiful stories because you. Uh, just haven't always walked in that and and is to say that that's been your story has been a, is a beautiful thing you know i i be, i became a christian when i was 6 you know i so and I, and it was very real for me like i remember uh, making that commitment and and understanding what that meant you know for me in fact i uh, i became a christian and then just a few months later i surrendered to preach so like so so that part of my journey was very real and so so I'm kind of the same way like I've uh, you know I've been a Christian for almost as long as I can remember you know yeah. and uh I think that's really good there's a, the, the other stories can be uh I don't know more uh you know there's there's more you know conflict and resolution and all these other kinds of things whatever the the fancy stuff is but I guarantee you people who've had that experience would love to be able to to say man I wish I hadn't gone through all that stuff I wish I'd made this commitment when I was a lot younger so um, so I think that's good. So, so you were saved when you were seven, baptized, and then, uh, so then, like, what as you grew, kind of talk about some moments where you, you know you felt like your faith really moved forward. You know how how um, how was God working in your life to draw him to draw you closer to Himself as you were growing up? Um, I think the first time I remember was when Zach Holder, um, our youth pastor my eighth grade year, my freshman year of high school, he started taking us to super summer every Mm -hmm. summer. And that was, I love youth camp. I love church camp. Um, but super summer was on steroids. That was an insane week of just leadership 
skills and learning how to be a leader in the church. Um, and Zach did so much with having our leadership group throughout the year um, and letting us really kind of take charge of the youth group. Mm. And so I think growing in all that and like being so involved in the youth group um, throughout high school and stuff really helped. And just Zach's outlook on just Christianity in general and life. I learned so much from him. Um, he's the one person that would text all the time, like with questions, like college and my friends would have questions. I'd be like, hang on, let me ask Zach. <laughs> Zach will know. <laughs> like Zach will know. And he would text back in minutes and have an answer. And um, he was just always our go-to. I grew whenever I came to college, a lot of my friends grew up Catholic. And so that's still one that I'm like kind of confused on the differences and stuff, but that was always in a conversation, not really an argument, more of a conversation of like the between Baptist and Catholic in general. Um, and so learning throughout that, Zach knew, Zach knew things about all the different um, denominations. And so I think about my freshman year of high school was when my mindset changed, like a more serious relationship with God. Um, but then whenever I got to college, I feel like I backpedaled a little bit. Mm. Um, I didn't have that youth group anymore. I didn't have like a solid Bible study group. I didn't have a church. People knew me. I would just go to, I went to Hillside Christian church for a while and, you know, I just go by myself, sit in the back and then go home. Um, and so here recently, actually a couple months ago, I started going to a new church with a new young adult group, um, less of a college group. And that has been really good. It's been the first group that I've really felt a part of. Um, felt welcomed whenever I go. And so that's been a shift just here recently um, being on a college and trying to navigate adult life on my own. Mm, yeah, so that's where we're at now. Yeah, Zach, uh, the thing that I, being the pastor here now and kind of, you know, following him as as pastor, it, one of the things that has really impressed me about his time here is is how good he was and how much energy he actually invested in developing leaders. Like that was, if there was, if, if, you know, and I, you know, I, I, kn- I knew Zach, uh, uh, you know, fairly well before I became pastor here, but, um, but, but now having been here and kind of meeting all these people that he's really invested in, like you, um, uh, boy, I can tell, man, he, that was really one of his areas of passion and, and, and giftedness is, is developing leaders and raising up leaders. And, and he seemed to, you know, to really, you know, be focused on that and, 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 and did a great job. And so, some of you guys who are, you know, out there really serving the Lord, like, like you are, that's a testament to him. So, uh, I'm, I'm grateful, grateful for his ministry here at this church and his influence in y'all's lives. So it's, that's really, really awesome thing. And the youth group experience for a lot of us is that, you know, where we, where we really, uh, that, those are very formative years, you know, where we're, where we're growing and stuff. So, but you're right. Then when we go to college, it's kind of, you know, it's tough to find your place and, you know, and do it on your own. <laughs> yeah. It's not as easy, not as easy to grow. What advice would you give to, you know, a person who's going to college in the fall? Like if you were talking to some of our seniors here, they're about to head to college. What, what, what advice would you give them? Um, definitely find a group early on, Find whether it's the BSM or here at WT, we have like the Wesley, mm. but find find a group early on, go to like those college ministries, find a Bible study group and get connected with those types of people first. Yeah. Yeah. The other kind, the, the other kind of folks, the folks who kind of 
will lead you into all kinds of terrible decisions. You know, you don't really have to look for those people. You know, they. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to look for them, but it is helpful. And I felt like those people too are good to hang out with because those are people we're supposed to be ministering to. Those Mm -hmm. are the people we're discipling to. But it's easier to do that when you have your Christian group to fall back on and to go to for advice and to go to when you're feeling burnt out on these other people. Yeah. I always tell folks, you know, the people that are in your inner circle, you know, the, the folks that, the folks that are your people, your tribe, you know, who you're spending most of your time around, especially in that from 16 to, you know, about 25, because those are really formative years for us. I always tell people, whoever those folks are that are in your inner circle, that's the kind of person that you're going to be. So yeah. it, it, the, those friendships that you're really pouring into, you're really invested in, the ones where you're really spending time, they're going to have a major impact on you. So, so you know, be, be careful about who those people are that you are giving your heart to. You know, that ma- make sure those folks are ones that are pointing you to life and pointing you to Christ. And um, you, there's all kinds of ministry we can do. That's great. But, but the, the folks who are, the, who are our crew, you know, our tribe, those folks have got to be people who are kind of pointing us to life and pointing us to Christ. I don't know, but I've seen it so many times where, you know, a kid comes to college and, and they, you know, as a dean of students, I would see it all the time. They would end up in my office and they would be in a lot of trouble. And a lot of it just had to do with, you know, the friends that they picked, you know? So being intentional about, you know, those friends that we pick is a, that's an important deal. That's a big deal. No doubt. That, that's good advice, Cayenne. It's very good wisdom. So glad. <laughs> you're, you're, you were wise beyond your years. I don't know about all that. So I want to back up to and talk about, talk a little bit about your family story, okay? Because you mentioned early on that your parents decided to foster whenever you were 10. And you were the oldest of three, three kids, right? At that point. Mm-hmm. So, so, Talk about that moment whenever your parents came to you. Like, wh- what had led up to that? And, and what, how did you, when, when you're having that conversation, like, how did that feel to you? What did you think? Like, I just, I kind of want to just pick your brain and hear what that was like when y'all were making that decision together. Um, so it was actually me <laughs> who brought it up. All right. And um, at the time, the Bear Foundation was on the radio all the time. And so eventually I was like, what is that? What do they do? And my parents kind of explained foster care to me. And I was like, why don't we do that? I was like, we have a big house. We all like kids. Why do we not? Like, why are we not doing that? And they're like, oh, no. And so I finally just asked them. I was like, it was just kind of always like a conversation in passing. And then I was about 10 years old. And I was like, so can we do this? Like, I want to do that. And that night I walked into my dad's office and he had the Bear Foundation pulled up on his computer and I was like, oh, good, you're looking at it. And he was like, yeah, he's like, we'll look into it, see, you know, this is something we can do. And about, it felt like years later, but I think it was about six, seven months later, um, we got our first two little foster boys. And we just went from there. We had 13 kids, I think, and 11 of them were boys. Wow. <laughs> <And> we had, <laughs> we adopted, and everyone's like, oh, you poor dad. And I'm like, hey, we tried. <laughs> we had, <laughs> fostered all boys and then ended up adopting Keely and Zoe, which we're so grateful for. But it's just, every time I tell people, I'm like, yeah, I'm the oldest of five girls. I'm like, oh, your poor dad. And I'm like, he's fine. He has a great time. 
Listen, yes. I, I can totally testify when when we found out. I'm the oldest of five boys. Okay, yeah. so and when I found out I was having a little girl, I was terrified because I'd never been around girls. I had no idea what that was about. I, you know, I was very nervous about it. I didn't know what kind of a girl dad I would be. But let me just tell you. I love being a girl dad. It's the greatest thing ever. So yeah, Chris, nobody needs to feel sorry for Chris. Okay, he's got no, it going on. Yeah, he's he's got some great daughters and he loves it. Loves being a girl dad. So uh, so so I didn't realize it was you that brought all this up. Like like you're the one who was kind of started this conversation. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and so I just have always had a heart for kids. Like my mom worked in the nursery. Um, at church growing up and every Sunday I got the chance. I was like, can I help you? Do you need help? Do you have to make kids? <laughs> and so I was in the nursery more than I was in church. I wow. feel like, and then I started babysitting as soon as I could. I think I was 12. Whenever it was the Grimes, they let me babysit <laughs> for the first time by myself. And, um, but yeah, it was just, I just always had a heart for kids and was like, well, we could have babies in our home all the time that we could take care of that need our help. And so my parents sat us down and had that conversation and we didn't take um, anyone over two years old because I was 10. So Stormy and Summer were eight and six and they're like, we don't want, you know, older kids in the house. And so to us at the time, it was just like, oh, we're just going to take care of these babies for a little bit till they can go back home or whatever. And that's really what it was for most of our cases, um, as far as I remember. But yeah, so it was just, I kind of brought it up and I just always had a heart for kids and I loved having Stormy in summer take care of them growing up and yeah. So it was, That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think it's, uh, for those of you who are on the podcast listening right now, the, one of the things that's really amazing to me always is how the Lord can move in our families through our kids, right? That sometimes the things that we're supposed to do as a family actually come to us through our children, you know? And uh, it certainly was that way. Like, for example, when my mom, when my mom met my dad, we were coming home from church (laughs) and my mom was single with four kids. Okay. And I was the oldest one. I was in the first grade. And so we were coming home from church and I told my mom, uh, mom, we're supposed to go eat lunch at the kettle. I said, the Lord is telling me that we're supposed to go eat lunch at the kettle. Her, the singles group was having like a fellowship after church at the kettle restaurant in Brownwood, Texas. And I said, we're supposed to go eat lunch at the kettle. Well, my mom was like, look, you just want to go eat at the kettle. I know I know what you're doing. (laughs) And I was like, no, mom, God is saying that we're supposed to go eat lunch at the kettle. And so my mom was like, well, if the Lord is telling you this, then the Lord wants you to pay for it. So go up to your piggy bank and get the money. Right. (laughs) And then, and so I did, man, I went and got the money. And so anyway, long story short, when we, when she went to the kettle, um, that's where my, my dad really noticed my mom for the first time and saw her hanging out with all of her kids. And, and really, yeah. that's when he decided he wanted to ask her on a date. But, but the Lord spoke to, to me about it first, right, before anybody else. So, and I knew that my dad was going to be my dad long before he knew he was going to be my dad or my mom knew that he was going to be my dad. So, uh, so that's true, right? The Lord speaks in families in that way. So I think that's, I think that's awesome that you were, you were the one who was saying, hey, we should... We should foster. <laughs> so talk about, talk about, you know, you're, you're 10 years old and, you know, you've got, you know, two sisters who are young as well. And, and, and these children are coming into your home. So yeah. talk a little bit about that. What was, what was awesome about that? What was really challenging about that? 
what kind of uh, talk about maybe even how how did it affect you like like how do you feel like those experiences of having these kids in your home really shaped you as an individual and shaped your family um at the time being so young um like i said like it was just fun having babies in the house having kids to take care of and i was always gonna tell my mom and be like if they start crying i got it in the middle of the night i got it i'll go take care of them she was like no you have school tomorrow and i'd be like no it's okay you have work tomorrow i'll go take <laughs> she never did let me but i tried but at the time like it was just fun and it was fun um you know, being at basketball games around my friends and be like, look, meet my little brother, like, <laughs> um, and taking him to church. And there was one little boy we had and we got to teach him how to walk oh. and how to talk. And like that, we have videos there. He's on our home videos. They all are, but just teaching him how to walk, like was so cool. Um, just kind of feeling like I had an impact on their lives. Like they were so young and so little and none of them probably remember me now, but, um, they with social media especially like checking up on them there's a few of them who I found like on Instagram and stuff and just seeing like how they're doing there was one little boy we had he was one of the last ones we had and he actually ended up I worked at the shelter at the children's home and him and his brother ended up at the shelter a few months ago and Mm so 11 12 years later they're still in foster care and he remembered me and he remembered mama Carrie and um just like having him was that was an impact on him like he knows Mama Carrie, like that's really one of his safe people. Right. And so I don't know, just being so young, it wasn't, I don't feel like it was a huge impact. Um, it definitely impacted like my career now. Um, just being interested in that and knowing about that growing up. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was more fun for me at that age. My parents obviously shielded us from all the bad sides of it. Um, and then them leaving was always hard because we'd have them for, there's a couple of kids we had for over a year. Mm. We had them for months and months at a time. And then one day they would just come pick them up and they would leave. And that was it. And that was really hard. Um, just not knowing where they go, not knowing how they were doing. But as a kid, I was shielded from the bad side of the foster care system. And so it was just fun having these kids to take care of and be an older sister too, and teach them things. And mm. so Gosh, I can't imagine like seeing a kid 11 or 12 years later that yeah. and they're still in the system. I mean, mm-hmm. gosh, that had to have been what was that like? Talk about that a little bit. It was, it was not good for me emotionally. Yeah. I placed them, it was about 1 a.m. that night that I placed them and I got their file and I saw his name and I was like, nope. I was like, there's no way this is them. Like, and then I walked in and he was standing right there and I was like, <laughs> and it took a few days like for him to remember but then I was like you know mom Carrie and he was like who are you he's like you're not stormy or summer he really had no idea who I was yeah he and stormy in summer and so but I placed him about 1 a.m that night and I think I sat in my office and cried till about three till I could drive home like it was just so hard like reading violencing they him and his brother had been in and out of care like five times in 10, 11 years and like it was just sad knowing him and like knowing how good of kids they are. And I don't know. I didn't like it. I liked that, you know, I got to see him again. He was doing okay. And I got to take care of him for a little bit, but it was, that was a sad one. I did not like that one. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine because this, you know, to see 
what what all's happened in their life since then, you know, and and just to think, gosh, it, if you could have spared them from that stuff, you know, how to, you know, I think to me the 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 toughest thing, the toughest thing that we experienced, you know, when we were kind of on the margins of of the whole system is is that like the, you know. I mean, we would read, you know, we'd get a, a file on a, on a, we got the file, a file on this one young lady and, you know, the, there, there were like six or seven calls where, you know, child protective services have been at their house, you know, and had documented stuff before, before she was finally removed from care. And, you know, and by that time, you know, all kinds of crazy things had happened to her, you know, and, and, uh, and and then you know, I don't know. And then you know she went through three or four foster homes too, and that was traumatic and you know painful. And so um, that's just the heartbreaking thing is the the journey that these that these kids are on, where they you know they they're in this one awful situation, and then uh, but then sometimes they're just they go from place to place to place, and they're kind of re-traumatized over and over again, or they go back and forth, you know, because their parents are trying to get it together and they can't get it together, so they back and forth, back and forth, and. Um, that's painful. That's a painful experience. So I can't imagine, can't imagine going through all of that. So, uh, so talk about your, talk about your sisters. So that, you know, because the, your youngest two sisters are adopted. So you guys had them as part of the the foster care journey that you were on, and then you eventually adopted them. So can, will you, can you tell that story? What was that like? And how did that work in your family? Um, so we fostered them for about a year. Zoe was nine months old and Keely was a year old whenever we got them. And so we fostered them for about a year and it was not an easy case, but just eventually kind of gave up her rights. Like she really didn't try super hard. And so it wasn't a fight to get them. Um, and as soon as she said she wanted to give up her rights, they called my parents and they're like, we would like to adopt them or do we need to put them on? It's called Tear is the website where they put um, for adoption and um, my parents sat me and stormed me and summer down and they're like y'all want to adopt them like if we adopt them like they're part of our family they're never leaving you know and uh, we were so excited we're like um yeah like <laughs> we want them like there was no question about it and so we did we changed their names when we adopted them. so that was a fun process so even like involving them in that process of, like so what do you want your name to be <laughs> yeah but yeah I mean as it was just fun. And then the day that we adopted them, we all got to get out of school and Judge Souter was the judge who did the adoption for us. And um, it was just fun. And since then, it's just been, it's been an adventure. And for me going through college and going through psychology classes and stuff, it's very interesting to watch nature versus nurture um, with Keely and Zoe, between me and Stormy and Summer. Because we were all raised the same. We got Keely and Zoe when they were very young. But it's crazy how different, just all five of us are in general, but how different they are. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just been very, it's been fun. It's been a good time. Um, there was not really any, that I know of, at least my parents don't share it with me, but any negative parts to them, even fostering them. Um, they went through a lot with their mom, not showing up visits and then eventually signing away her rights. But they were so young that, it just, it was what it was. And then we were their family and that's how it's been since then. Yeah. Well, and you guys, it's awesome to kind of watch y'all all together. Cause it's, you know, 
it's clear that, you know, that, I mean, y'all are just all sisters, you know? So, uh, yeah. so, uh, and at what, was there a point that you remember where you, where you really, you know, felt that way about them or, or were you guys just kind of that way with every kid that came into your home? You kind of treated them like part of the family, felt the, like they were part of your family. Was there a moment yeah. that where it changed for you or what, 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 what was it like? There really wasn't. Um, the day we adopted them, it was just kind of like, I'm a very emotional person. I cry every day, but it was very emotional for me. Just realizing, like, okay, like they can never leave. Like they're ours now because that was the worst part about fostering was mm. like, and so, but no, we, every kid was our little brother, little sister um, to everyone. I think every kid we had called my parents, mom and dad, um, which they were just so young. It was not much for them, but uh, the day we got Keely and Zoe, they were our little sisters and, that's how it was. And then eventually it became permanent and we didn't have to worry about anymore after that. Yeah. That's uh, so the, by the time the adoption kind of happened, that was, it was the culmination really of a process that had been going on this whole time. Like it, 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 that you already felt like that. You already felt like they were your sisters. Y'all just made it official. Is that kind of how? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I remember. So my dad adopted me when I was in the sixth grade, me and my, my oldest brother. And, uh, and so I can remember being in court, you know, and, uh, and they sit like me and my brother were on one side and my parents were on the other, almost like, and we had to have our, uh, our own lawyer, you know, like, so there was a lawyer that was representing us. And then there was one that was representing my parents, you know, and the judge was asking us questions, me and my brother questions. And, um, I really remember that really vividly. And, and it was such yeah. a, I'm, I'm such a be- exciting, wonderful, beautiful thing for me because, and I still tell people this all the time. You're like, my dad chose me. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he knew me, and he, and even though he knew me, he still wanted to be a part of my, my life. You know, so, uh, so he chose me, and uh, and so I, I just, you know, that moment was a really powerful one because um, I felt this sense of belonging. You know, because growing up, I was kind of alienated from my father. I didn't really see him a whole lot, and felt really estranged from him. And then he signed over parental rights. You know, so. Um, so that, you know, my dad, like wanting me, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to go to court, I'll get a lawyer, whatever I have to do. I really want for you to be my son. You know, that was a, that was a pretty powerful thing for me as a kid. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and uh, I can't, you know, and Zoe now, no, also knowing Zoe and Keely, right? Like those two girls are amazing. So they are, they are they're they got and they're and you're right they're really different even from each other like i mean yeah. totally different personalities so yes. but what awesome young women and uh and and you know it's clear that you guys have had they think the world of you guys too y'all have had a huge influence on them so what do you think i mean one of these days are you going to be foster parent or uh, as or- adoption like something that you've thought about what do you think about it Yes, that is definitely my plan. Um, not big on having my own kids. I mean, if it happens, it happens. But many kids are out there who need a mom, who need parents. And even if I eventually have to do it on my own, you know, I would. I'll start my own. Working for St. Francis, there's a lot of like limitations with fostering and adopting. Obviously, being up in it, but um, yeah, that's that's my plan. Every I go on that's the one of the only things I tell them like you have to be wanting to foster with me. <laughs> if this is going to go to the second date like you have to be open to that and 
but that's something that's very important to me. So that's it, man. I I'd like to be a fly on the wall on your, on a first date then Cayenne because I'd like to see you say okay before we can go any further you need to know this is something that's important you know that's be be interesting to see the reaction. No, yeah, they, I mean uh, they're always like oh yeah for sure whatever you want and I'm like yeah okay. <laughs> <Their answer. laughs> but yeah, I have I have my list of first date questions and I'm it depends on the second date but I'm very. I get confrontational, I guess you could call it, but I don't want to waste time, mm. especially in my life. And so I'm like, these are the things we have to agree on. Other things are compromisable. Yeah, that's one of my main ones. I'm like, you at least have to like kids. Then we can go from there. But yeah. yeah. And they always ask, like, well, can we adopt a kid from like Uganda so we have a basketball star? That's what every single one of them. I'm like, Good Lord. no, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> the amount of times they've asked that. I'm not quite, but maybe, you know. Well, yeah, the, the fact that that's where your priority is, man, oh, yeah. I feel like that's... Everyone just has such, like, a stereotype with adoption and, you know, things like that. And so, like, well, are we going to, like, have to go to another country? And I'm like, nope. No. <laughs> They're right here in Amarillo, you know, but... I also want to point out. I think you really, I think you really have some wisdom and insight into the the male thought process because you ask that question of them like, "Oh yeah, sure, whatever," you know, what I mean? <laughs> because they just want to, they just want to go on another date, right? So they pretty much agree to anything if I can hang out with you for a little longer. Yeah, that's yeah. no, for sure. They'll agree with what I say at the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good wisdom that you recognize that already because that, sadly, that's you know. That's uh, that's how we sometimes work. So that's yeah. that's for sure. So, but that's good. It's good that you have some standards. Like you know, what I mean, it's good that you have a list of things. Hey, I know these things. Are, these are important to me. These are these are things that really matter to me in my life. And so, because I, you know, a lot of a lot of folks don't have that, right? And so that's how, you know, that's how you end up, you know, dating and maybe even falling in love with somebody who maybe doesn't faith is not important to them. Maybe they don't have a relationship with Christ. Maybe because you haven't really set those things up beforehand. Here's these things are important to me. And I, and I really want to pursue and and, and chase after those. I try to tell uh, Carson and, and, and Sadie, you know, she's just 13, but I always try to tell them that, look, you know, this matters. Make sure you, if you don't, if you're not aiming at anything, then there's no telling what you're going to hit, you know? So at least, you know, at least have some things that you recognize that are important to you Mm-hmm. So that so that as you're getting into these relationships, it's, it's too late. Six or eight months into a relationship, it's too late to 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 start asking those questions. Then, like you need to be asking them before, like first date questions. You know, you need to be asking that right from the start. So that's wise. That's so. Who told you? To, who told you about that? Did you get that from your dad or your mom, or did that just something that you kind of <laughs> organically arrived at? Say so that's definitely something I've figured out more on my own. My mom that I date but she has always kind of instilled me like I'll be like yeah like he's this type of person this way does and she was like mm, is that the best idea and I'm like I mean but she's very much like out for yourself you know right like she'll give me advice and she'll give her opinion more or less um but it's definitely been something I've had to figure out on my own because in high school she really tried to give me opinion and it didn't work. <laughs> so she eventually was kind of like, okay, like, you know, I'll tell you what I think, but you're going to have to do what you want to do. And so I wish I had known, you know, at 15 and 16, these questions and you can't change people and, you know, all of that. They are who they are. But 
that's not the case for everyone. Some people can change, but more or less, and the older I get, they're definitely in a man's life where I fully believe they are who they are and there's no and so the older I get and the older they get, um, if they if we don't agree on things, if they have a certain mindset, it's not something I'm going to be able to change and they're not going to be able to change mine. And so it's just through my experiences dating, I've definitely learned that over the last few years. Um, ask those questions, be upfront about certain things, don't get yourself in bad situations. Yeah, yeah just that's good. forward with people. Well, and I think a person like you too, who's wired, to care for people. You know what I mean? Who you're just wired that way. Like you, you want to take care of people and you want to help people, you know, that sometimes you, you can end up in all kinds of toxic relationships because you feel like, Oh, I can help this person, you know? Yes. And, and there are ways that you can help people there. There are, but, but you know, but there are a lot of ways where you can't, you know, and, and sometimes yeah. there are ways you can help a person sometimes, but not as their girlfriend, right? If you're, if you're there, you don't have to date them. Yes. That's all- thing I've learned. You don't have, you can be friends with people. You don't have to date them. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and because, you know, when you're that close to a person, like where you're dating them, you know, mm-hmm. if, if it's a person that you started dating because you wanted to help them, then oh boy, that can go all kinds of bad. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, and I know a lot of folks like you who just really have that, that heart for people and you really want to help people. I've, I've watched some of those folks really struggle because they get into relationships with people and they're trying to, trying to help them, trying to, you know, trying to help them grow and lead them to Christ. But it, boy, it can be. Yeah. yeah. So all right. that's good advice. So all you young ladies out there who are listening, <laughs> right. You know, you cannot, you, you cannot like missionary date. Okay. It doesn't work. So, doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so your friend. that's right. Have your, your, have your list of questions, you know, know what it is that you're looking for and don't let anybody into your heart who at least doesn't, because even when you have that list of criteria and you have a person who will meet all of those and still when you're dating them, you find out this is really unhealthy. This person is not healthy for me and we're not good in a relationship together, even when you have all that stuff. And so if you don't have that stuff, then it can, it can really be, you know, uh, toxic and crazy and, um, and not good. So I can relate. I've, you know, I've, I've dated, you know, plenty of, plenty of girls who I should never have dated because I, you know, I thought, I thought I could help them. I thought I could be a shining light or whatever, but no. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it, it does not work. So that's good. Good information. See, that's good wisdom and advice that you're giving right now, Cayenne. I like that. I like it. <laughs> so if there is one thing that you would say that the Lord is teaching you right now, um, and this at this point in your journey with Christ, what what is it you feel like that you're learning the most right now? Um, I think right now here recently, it's definitely just like we were talking about earlier, who I surround myself with. Um, this new young adult group. And I have, you know, my friends from college. I'm kind of just like in a bunch of different friend groups. And but my mindset is I want to help people. I want to be there for people. I like making friends. But I definitely need that solid, like, group, you know, Christian group of friends who can keep me grounded and keep me in the right mindset in my relationship with God. Um, and I didn't really, as important as I said it was to grow that in college, I didn't. I had to learn that after that that's something important. And so that's what I'm working on now is trying to grow that community, that community back and also keep, you know, my other friends, but get in a better mindset where I can disciple 
we're not to minister to them and just be that light, be that positive influence in their lives without having to like, you know, completely cut off the friendship. Yeah, that's something that's been brought to light for me here recently that I'm trying to be more conscious about growing it and working on it. Yeah. You know, we, we actually were talking about that. Uh, we've been talking about that in church a lot, uh, that, that we were made for community. And, mm-hmm. and the only way that we can become who God really fully become who God has created us to be is in community with other believers. That's how God designed us. And, you know, first Corinthians 12, Paul talks about it, you know, the body has many parts and, and just, and we're the body of Christ. And so just like the body has many parts, we have many parts, but we depend on each other, right? We're bound together and we can't be what God has created us to be if we're not connected to one another and bound together. And so, but it's amazing how so often, and I think it's part of just being like uh, American, you know, I mean, there's this rugged individualism that we have as Americans and that people in the West. And it's amazing how often we really try to, to, to accomplish Christ's life on our own. And we think we can do it, you know, by ourselves. And, and um, but I, I know from personal experience you, that every time when I, when I have tried to do that, when I've tried to be that, um, when I've tried to be Christ life, you know, without without the support of the body of Christ, it's usually ended really terrible for me. And and uh, and I and so I know from personal experience that I need that connection. And uh, but that's how we were created, all of us. So um, so whatever that looks like, uh, you know, find find the church, then plug in at your church. You know, uh, get involved, get involved in a in a small group so that you can have accountability have people speaking into your life, get involved and serve, you know, actually be plugged in serving, helping in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but get plugged in and get involved because that's where we really grow and develop. I think especially when you're doing a, a, a job like the one that you're doing, right, which is demanding and uh, it requires a lot of you. It can be stressful and, and even uh, painful sometimes, mm-hmm. right? It, it, there's, most people don't have a job, Cayenne, where, you know, where they, after they do that part of their job, they then go to their office and cry for two hours, right? So people, <laughs> most people don't have that job. So, so it's even more important, I think, when you're in a situation like that to have that. And I'm glad that you, that you, you recognize that and you understand it. So and for those of you who are, are, are listening, I, I, I mean, I know when, when a pastor is telling you this, it sounds like a self-serving thing. Like it's a, you know, you better go to church, you know, it sounds like, but I, I really, pr- I promise you, I'm not, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not trying to, I, I'd love for all of you to come to First Shallow Water. I think it's a great church. We have amazing people and, and God could use you in, in huge and awesome ways and do stuff in your life here that I think is awesome, beautiful, wonderful. But I don't, at the end of the day, I don't care where I just, you got to be somewhere, be somewhere, you know, be connected to the body of Christ, to a Bible believing, teaching church and, and, and be connected and be serving there because we all need it. And, uh, and you need it. However much you might feel like you don't, you do. And, uh, and so thank you, Cayenne, for reminding us of that, right? We, we need it. And for being, you know, willing to be open and vulnerable about that. That's a, I learned that lesson in a really hard way too, you know? So for me, I was on the, I was on the road. I was touring as a musician. And so mm-hmm. even though I was hanging out with these other guys who were Christians, they were believers like me, you know, I wasn't rooted in a faith community anywhere. And, and, and Amy and I were married, but we really weren't together. We really weren't planted any place. 
And, uh, and we didn't think about it at the time or realize at the time, but looking back on it and, and kind of at the end of that time in our lives, we were like, wow, that's, this has not been good for us, you know? Um, and we need, we need the, that steady influence of people in our lives who love us and are important us to Christ. So that's true. And, you know, we're glad, Kayan, that, you know, you'll always be part of First Shallow Water. I don't care wherever else you go, right? <laughs> yes, definitely. You're our people, and we claim you no matter what. So there, there right. you go. So, <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for, for uh, joining me today. And, uh, man, thanks for sharing your story. Um, and, you know, we're just, uh, all of us who listen, all of you folks who are listening and myself, we're just going to be praying for you. Uh, and for the work that God's called you to, it's important work. And uh, and I think, uh, how about this? Uh, how about we're going to be praying for you and the work that God's called you to, and we're also going to be praying and asking God how He wants for us to be a part of that work too. <clears throat> because the one thing that we didn't talk about is that Scripture makes it pretty clear that caring for widows and orphans is not optional for the body of Christ. It's what we're all supposed to be doing. And so yeah. the question is not, are we going to care for you know, are we going to be a part of caring for foster kids and orphans in the world? The question is not if we're going to do that. The question is how are we going to do that? Because all of us are supposed to be engaged and involved in that process in some way. So thanks for sharing that and inspiring us a little bit about that. And uh, and then maybe as we get down the road, you can come back on and talk to us about some specific ways that people can get plugged in and get involved yeah. and, and help kids. Is there is there a, a particular resource that you would point people to who are wondering if uh, if uh, how to get involved, how to help? Uh, is there any any place that you would send people? Um, definitely Amarillo Angels. Yeah. So they're called Amarillo Angels, but they cover the whole panhandle uh, from the top of Texas down below Lubbock. And so they are there that supports foster families. So you don't have to foster. Fostering and adopting is just too much for your family or whatever. This organization pairs you with a foster family and with foster kids who you just see, you see them once a month. You hang out with them. You are just an extra support system because these kids need as many support systems as they can get um, going through foster care and going through the system. And so this organization pairs you with these families and it's a one-year commitment. So you see them about 12 times a year, but you just grow the relationships with those foster families and kids as well, um, and the biological kids. It's the whole family um, in general. But that is my number one right now um, for y'all being down in Chalwater and up here in Amarillo. Um, I would definitely just Google Amarillo Angels, look them up. Their website is very easy. And also um, my email, my phone number, Brad can give that out to whoever wants it, needs it. Um, I would love to talk to y'all about that more and get people more involved in that. Yeah. So we'll put in the description of this episode, I'll put a link to Amarillo's Angels and I'll put your email address in there too, if that's okay with you. And that way people can reach out to you. I won't put, I won't put your cell phone number in there. You don't need, you don't need everybody pulling up your phone, but yeah, but I'll I'll put your email address in there and, uh, and that way people can email you with specific questions. Um, That's awesome. We, our church also partners with Texas Girls and Boys Ranch. That's a wonderful organization. They're doing some, they, they don't just have kids living at the ranch. They actually also support several foster families that, you know, that, you know, where folks are living in the, in the homes. And so, so that's another great place to, to kind of connect. But Amarillo's Angels is a really, that's a really awesome organization to come alongside a family that's doing foster care and, and just kind of support and love on them and encourage them. That's a, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big 
beautiful deal to do. So we'll put the link in the in the description of this episode. So if you're listening, just go out there and, and click on the link and it'll take you take you to Emerald's Angels. And uh and uh I hope you hope you get out there and get involved. It'd be awesome. So all right, Cayenne, thank you very much for joining me today. I had a wonderful time talking to you. I always enjoy talking to you. So uh, I think you're, think you're a, an amazing young lady, and I'm excited about what God is doing in your, in your life and in your, and in your ministry. So, and I'm thankful that we get to be friends. So that's a good thing. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, you guys, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, join us again next week as we will have another awesome guest talking about their, their faith story. Uh, but until then, we'll see you around town. Thanks for tuning in to First Things First. We want to invite you to join us for worship this Sunday at First Shallow Water. You can find us at 703 Avenue J in Shallow Water, Texas. Our Sunday morning service starts at 1030 a.m. Click on the link in the description of this episode for more information about our church or if you'd just like to reach out to us. Check out the previous episodes of this podcast. Make sure you do that. We really have had the privilege of hearing some amazing stories. And make sure you check back each week for a new episode. Until then, we'll see you around town.